Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball, founder of the Coach's Edge. And it is good to be back, back in my office, interviewing just such great coaches, students of the game. And in this episode, it's no different. Ken George, over 20 years at Forest Hill Central as a high school coach, now entering his second season at Hope College men's basketball as an assistant there. And in this episode, he really digs into his transition from high school to college coaching, from head coach to assistant coach. And then we start to talk about offensive schemes. We talk a lot about the ball screen. We talk about the trickle-down effect of the NBA and the international game and how that starts to affect the college and high school game here in the U.S. We talk about some of those pros and, and cons as far as the, the style of play. Um, Coach George is a student of the game. And so I, from this episode, you're really going to be able to take some nuggets that are going to improve you as a coach. Special thank you to, to Coach George. At the end of this episode, he also shares a little bit about the Hoop Smart Coaches Clinic. He hosts one of the top coaches clinics in the state of Michigan. Um, and that's happening in Grand Rapids near the end of October, October 24th, to be exact. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be a guest speaker at his clinic, among many other great high school and college coaches. I, I can't wait to, to be a part of it and learn from the other great coaches and speakers that will be into attendance. If you have any questions about that as well, um, be sure to reach out to myself, to coach. Information will also be in the description below. Let's get to the show. like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Ken George, assistant men's basketball coach at Hope College. And uh, Coach George, first of all, welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, it's an honor. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me. I think I'm, I hope I'm qualified enough to be a part of this big time thing that you got going. So I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> you're more than, you're more than qualified. You're more than qualified. I'm going to learn a lot from you. I got my notebook, notebook out. Uh, selfishly, I've already asked you a handful of these questions when we met about a week and a half ago, because uh, I was <laughs> so curious. This is before I was even like, hey, you should be on the, on the podcast, um, because I, I think there's a lot of coaches as well that maybe they were in their shoes. They want to be in the shoes that you're you're currently wearing as far as being a, a college coach. They'd like to learn about that. And you love offense. You love offensive schemes. And so let's let's dive into to that let's area as well. I mean, what two two great things for us to touch on. So um, you coached at the high school level for about 24 years. Last year was your first year as assistant men's basketball coach at Hope College. Biggest transition from coaching at the high school level to the college level. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest transition probably was a just better players. I mean, I think it's it's a very different game with better players out there. Um, shot clock, I would say, was a was a change, but I don't know if it was as big of a change as I thought it would be. I really thought that that might change everything. Like, wow, the shot clock now. I've never had that before, and really, it, I mean, the end of shot clock possessions on both ends, O and D, are a thing um, that we talk a lot about. But I don't know if the shot clock was the was the actual biggest change. You know, maybe the biggest change was the um, importance of matchups. And this might be two X's and O's or whatever this early. But I would say in high school, 24 years, I don't know how many games that is, but 500 and whatever games I coached, there were a few games when matchups were a problem where, where we were like, oh, shoot, we've switched that screen and now we're stuck and we have this guy guarding that guy and that the other team did enough to take advantage of it. Um, it just wasn't a thing um, in high school. Gosh, every possession in college, it's a thing. 
I mean, you have to be able to guard the ball and, you know, if you've got bigs that are hedging and not able to stop the ball, I mean, I just think individual matchups are much more important in the college game and the high school game. It's something that maybe I thought I knew about, um, but really came to the forefront early on um, in my first you know, few weeks, you know, with practice there. That makes a, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, every, pretty much every guy on that college team was, was the best player on their high school team. Yeah. Right. And, and yep. uh, you know, the worst player on a, on the court for a high school team is the worst player on the court on a high school team. Yeah. <laughs> the worst player on the court on a college team is the best player on a high school yeah. basketball team. Um, I mean, yeah. so it just, yeah, there's just a lot of strategy and, and offensive schemes, which we'll get into uh, later in this episode as well. Was it more difficult to transition from high school to college or from head coach to assistant coach and why? <laughs> yeah, so I've got major control issues um, and I know <laughs> it and I admit it in all aspects of my life. High school teacher, love that I can close the door and teach my butt off and, and certainly follow the curriculum, but that, that room is my room and I'm in total control of that room. Um, you know, my wife is, is incredible because I've got control issues and we worked all those together. I think she has some as well. And marriage is fun and interesting. And we've been married for a, you know, a long, long time. So I have it in that situation too. So in basketball might be where I have the most control issues. Absolutely. And after 24 years of every single part of the program, freshman JV varsity, I don't even care if it was what you're eating for pregame meal. That was my decision. Like our decisions were my decisions. So yeah, that's a transition. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a transition. Um, and I, and you know, there's some people that right away said, "Oh, it's going to be great." Now you're not the guy. Now it doesn't all land on your shoulders. You can just kind of go to practice and go home. That's not me. Like I'm not a go to practice and go home dude. Like, oh, they, you know, coach, that's your thing. I'm just a little assistant. So yeah, it's been an incredible transition. I think, you know, Coach Mitchell at Hope has just been so open to ideas and to me questioning and talking and, and we, we really talked in the hiring process and, and I and I said to him and he said pretty much the same thing you know if you want me to just come in and clap for you and tell you good job and you know pat you on the butt and say coach you're coaching great I'll see you tomorrow that's just not me like I just wasn't going to be that guy and I was good with it I was not really searching for a college job I mean that was not a thing really I had resigned I was officiating I was loving officiating started doing some small college officiating so I was good um but the opportunity is incredible to coach my son and to coach at the college level and to coach at a school that I've grown to love because both my kids have gone there. So, but coach Mitchell's been, you know, incredible an incredible listener and, and challenges me and I challenge him and we work together. And, and uh, so I, I would say with anyone else, that transition may have been a lot more difficult, but, um, but he's certainly given me a lot of things to be in charge of. So I'm, th I'm really thankful for that. That's great to hear. And I, you know, I think, you know, Anytime you're in a transition like that, if, I mean, if there's a level of respect going in and then there's an open line of communication going back and forth where you can challenge one another and, and um, you know, that, that challenge is to get better, you know, yeah. and, and I think, you know, it goes that same way with, with players. I mean, you have a, a poor player will see criticism as, you know, putting them down, trying to hurt them a good player will see that same criticism as a chance to improve. Um, yeah. And uh, that's just, that's just really cool to hear. What, what advice would you give to a high school basketball coach? And they're saying to themselves one day, I want to coach college basketball. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause again, I wasn't, 
it wasn't my thing. Like I wasn't yeah, on the interesting for you. a college kind of job. Your lap. No, I just wasn't. Yeah. Kind of, you know, we had talked about it a little bit a, a few mm. years prior and, and whatever. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a different game. I think it's really fun. The advice would be, I guess, if, you know, if you want to do it, it's hard, it's hard because I'm a teacher too. And I feel like a lot of high school coaches are teachers too. So, I mean, you're talking major career change. I mean, Nate Oates. Nate Oates was teaching math at Romulus. I remember coaching against him in some in the summer, you know, so he and I are both making 45000 a year hanging out together. You know, he's not making that anymore. I mean, he made a career move to get into the college coaching business and had connections. Um, but yeah, boy, to, you know, for me, if I had, you know, if I had been 20 years in and was like, oh, I'm going to go coach in college to take a, you know, an assistant job at a D3 or something would be really difficult lifestyle change. So, I mean, I think it's been exciting. It's been awesome. It hasn't been like I have totally left what I did at the high school level and just jumped into this college thing because I'm an English teacher and that's what I do first. Um, so, you know, if, if you're really thinking about it, I guess, you know, go for it and, and use your connections and find what you can find. But um, but again, I don't know if I'm the greatest guy to give advice there because it, it's it's, um, you know, it's my second thing. You know, it's my second thing. It's not the only thing that I do. No, it's just really interesting. Switching gears here. You just went to the NBA Summer League. So first off, <laughs> I want to hear about how it went. And then yeah. that's going to transition into some of the offensive schemes. So yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about the trip Gosh, and some know, of the things that you with, picked up. Yeah, I went with my two sons, Jordan and Ty. Jordan's 24, Ty's 22. And um, great ages. I'll tell you, the every age has been, been the coolest age. When they were two and four, it's like, this is the coolest. When they're eight and 10, this is 22 and 24 is the coolest. Um, but anyway, we um, we had been to Vegas one other time about four years ago for an AAU event. So the three of us went. And um, different then. We were, we were playing basketball. We were not in the sightseeing world. And also Ty was 17 and Jordan was, you know, 19 or whatever. So a different deal with where you can walk and what you can do or whatever. Um, we had the we had the greatest three days. I mean, we just had the greatest three days and we're all pretty calm dudes. It's not like we were out crazy late or, you know, sitting at the table spending hundreds. We don't have that to spend. It was but it was just being together, being in Vegas. And then it was just pretty cool knowing every day we're going around Vegas doing all the stuff that we were going to NBA games at night. It was it was really, really cool. And I will tell you, the setting, it's some of the coolest it's the coolest atmosphere I've been in to watch a semi like a professional sporting event because it was like an AAU tournament, but with NBA players, first year rookies, whatever, but still it was just, I mean, we walked into the other gym. So it's two gyms who walked in the other gym and pretty much bumped knees with Giannis. He's sitting front row, just watching. And it's not like there's, you know, 20 security guys around him or whatever. It's just, it was so different. We actually on our phone started making a list of all the players and coaches we saw in Vegas and at the games that we just ran into and, and talked to, we hung out with John Beeline in the, in a hallway of a hotel for five minutes. And he was, you know, I told him that I was Xavier Tillman's coach for a couple of years in high school. And we had a great talk, you know, before Xavier transferred his junior year, he played for me for two years on varsity and John obviously knew, you know, Xavier really well. So anyway, it was um, some of the coolest um, viewing, I would say that we've ever had of a professional sporting event. It was, it was, um, it was really fun, really, really fun. I've always heard really good things about the the NBA Summer League from some friends that have went where it just the sound their example just like yours, where it's like these are all NBA guys, but it, it's much more of a casual, relaxed, everybody's yes. kind of hanging out, going back and forth atmosphere, which is which is awesome. Uh, you yeah. don't get that opportunity very often. One of my guys that I, I worked with was playing for the for the Suns, which was kind of cool to see see him play and, and just 
Yeah. The, those, those guys are so good and they're yeah. just oh, so talented and uh, to be up close and personal with that level of, I mean, those guys playing and many of them will not make an NBA team, but it'd be fair to say all of those guys are probably a, a top 2000 player in the world. Yeah. When you think about it that way, it's like mind blowing. You know, you think of all the people that play basketball in the world and you're watching like some of the best uh, yeah. do it. It's just really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and we've been, you know, we've been down semi close to NBA games or whatever, but you're still in an arena with, I don't know, 25,000 people, whatever. Yeah. And you're in, you know, we've been down there kind of close to whatever. And we just bought the general admission stuff and we're, you know, six, seven rows away from the court. And right away, really about one minute into warmups and maybe it was into the first game. We looked at each other. My sons and I were like, everyone is so big. There's no space out there. Like these are huge humans. And the court is like shrunk with those big bodies out there. And that was noticeable because of how close we were. And also, yeah, um, yeah just some huge huge dudes out there that just take up a lot of space, you know, which yeah. I think makes the game dramatically different too. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different game <laughs> when, uh, that defender gets there quick. The, uh, the little side tangent, I was working with Vito Brown, his name, he played for Wisconsin was on those teams that went to the final fours. And, um, when he was playing in the G league, um, you know, coming from Wisconsin, very fundamental, like get to two feet, get on balance, you know, pivoting, jump stopping. And then when he was working with one of the G league teams, they were saying, you got to get in the lane and just get that up off of one foot. Because if you take the time to get on two, you're not going to get that shot off. They're going to say, isn't that interesting. And, uh, yeah. and, and he's six, eight, you know, and just, you know, big shoulders, great athlete. Um, but, but it just, it's exactly like you said, it's, it's a different game when yeah. the players are that big and can cover that much ground yeah. in a short yeah. amount of time. And um, yeah. it's just super interesting. I talked to my boys and we're trying, I'm, I'm trying. Here's what this would be one of the coolest things ever as a dad. I said, boys, here's the deal that we should do it every year. And I don't care when I'm 80 and you're whatever, however old you are, the three of us should go for three days and just say, Hey, you know, sorry, all families, whatever, this is a thing that we do. So, cause it was that cool. It was that fun to be there. So. Well, it'd be cool over the years to also see, you know, what things change, which is kind of yes. where I wanted to, to take this next was what were some of the, the common offensive schemes that you noticed that those teams were running? Yeah. Now, okay. If we start talking about this, I might get semi, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's not really controversial or whatever, but it's just, I, I am, <clears throat> I'm somewhat shocked as I watch that. So I'm not, I'm not an avid NBA watcher. We talked about that a little bit. I'm not an avid NBA watcher. Um, I watch Pistons fan and I watch them. I'm an avid college basketball watcher. So as I watch this, and it's not like I haven't watched NBA before, but as I watch this game after game, possession after possession, you know, the tickets get you in for as many games as you want. So we watch, you know, two and a half consecutive games or whatever. <clears throat> I'm shocked that 90% of those possessions, I, and I, 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 that maybe isn't exactly right. There's probably some synergy program or whatever that would tell you if it's right. Start with a drag screen up top or a high ball screen. And I don't know if 90% is exactly right, but I'm telling you, it's, a, it's, it's more than 80. And, um, and it, you know, if you go back and you watch video, and basketball is so interesting, you, you know, you go back to when I was watching Isaiah and Trapuca, you go back to Rip Hamilton and those guys. I mean, I don't know if a ball screen was set an entire game. 
I mean, people are cutting off, a, you know, screens on the baseline and coming on, everyone's, you know, pinned down and this and that and passing and cutting and moving and, and people aren't even getting guarded until they get to about 18 feet. You know, people are just kind of coming on the dribble and no one's even picking them up until they're like in the paint practically. And um, I mean, just different, just different. And um, I am just somewhat surprised that that is... 90% of the possessions, how they start. Now, certainly they, they move into now this big guy up top and handoffs and all those other things. But I mean, you're a ball screen guy. I'm a ball screen guy. I mean, I, I really like that stuff, but I'm just surprised that that's how that's every possession start. I don't know. You, you are much more aware of the NBA game and the overseas game. So to speak to me, you help me with it. No, I, I don't watch a ton of NBA until the playoffs start. And then I'm locked in um, because that's a, that's right. a long season. And, um, you know, especially this past year, there were so many games that weren't even close. I mean, if you followed the NBA at all, it was like a crazy amount of games that were like 30 plus point victories. It, it was not a great NBA season. I, th I think the, the viewership would tell you the same thing, but right. um, when the playoffs start, I want to, <laughs> I want to see the best guys right. get, get after it and the best teams get after it. Um, but what I, I had thought of as, as we think about the trickle down effect was the international game. And, um, you know, how many bigs internationally may not have some of that God given athleticism. And so much before the NBA was doing their thing, the seven foot guys over there were draining threes and mm -hmm. trailing on the back line on a fast break and just catching right. and pulling it. And um, instead of, you know, ball screen into a, an alley-oop dunk, they're getting into a pick and pop and hitting a three mm -hmm. and dribble handoffs. Right. And so, you know, I just, I just wonder, I don't know the answer to this either, but I, I just wonder, we're seeing a couple of things. We're seeing more international players playing the NBA than ever before. Mm -hmm. You know, the best players in the world now, you know, if you pick the top five guys in the world, I think we could probably say maybe two of them are not from the U.S. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. often that we've been able to say that in the past. Um, and then if you go down, okay, what were the top 20 guys? I mean, you're really getting into, yeah. I mean, the, the finals MVP was from overseas. The NBA mm -hmm. MVP was from overseas mm -hmm. and they're different people. That's, yeah. I don't think that's ever happened ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's only become a more and Luka Doncic is not even in there, that conversation. Right. He's, yeah. he's, he's right up there. So yeah. to be able to see the, the global game, and FIBA and, and the style of play, because it is a different style of play over there, you know, very different from the NBA. Um, I wish the NBA played a lot more like the FIBA game. I think it's a much more, the balls, the ball moves better. It's, um, it's more physical. Um, the games are 40 minutes. So, I mean, you got to be on it compared to this marathon game of 48 right. minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> how does the move, how does the ball move more coach? Tell me. So tell me, I'm curious about that. Well, when you, when, when you watch the NBA, you see, in my opinion, a lot of isolation, especially as yeah. the clock starts to wind down. And when you go mm -hmm. to international basketball, those guys are continuing to more so play through the clock, yeah. playing through yeah. the clock. Yeah. And the, the pace of the ball um, is being passed in transition ahead more often. I would, I would say just, yeah. again, I couldn't be wrong, but when I, when I think about the international game, I see a lot more of the ball being pushed ahead instead of dribbled ahead. Mm -hmm. I see 
um, in the MBA level, when the clock starts to get to 10 or so, okay, isolation, I'm going one-on-one mm-hmm. -on -one or bring me up a ball screen. Yeah. Whereas international play is still 24 second clock, but those guys are still running their offense. Right. And, and, and so there's more ball movement, there's more player movement. Um, and, and I, I personally, I think they're getting a better shot a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and I, I agree. I mean, you, you, if you really started and people have, I'm sure. And again, I'm not an NBA junkie, but watching it this weekend was interesting because I would say the majority of the shots were kind of hard pull up leaners off of a ball screen when helps there standstill corner threes off, off of, you know, drive and kick out or whatever, or pick and pop, you know, threes by bigs. Um, mm -hmm. So much of the game is that. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's just intriguing to me, but clearly, I mean, those are the best coaches in the world and the best players in the world. So clearly that must be the best way to score. And I know numbers across the NBA scoring are like sky high, like way up, way up, way up. But boy, the ball doesn't move much. And holy cow, does one person dribble for a long time. And in terms of, um, you know, schemes other than come ball screen for me, let me break you down and try to do something. Boy, not a whole lot out there. Not a whole lot out there. The rules are different in the NBA. Like you can get a hand check foul so so easily yeah and so yeah. it makes more sense it makes more sense to isolate even than it does at the college level because if you're doing the same thing at the college level you're probably not going to draw as many fouls as if you played in the nba and the same well, thing defensive two sections too and that as well yeah. that as well yeah. um and the same thing yeah. internationally I, i think that you know you don't see as much isolation because those defenders have more freedom to to body you up and be physical and so they're it's much more even. Whereas in the NBA, right. that, that, that ball handler has, I mean, that's, if there's yeah. a pet peeve, we're going off on a whole side tangent, but if I had a pet yeah. peeve about the NBA, it's just, I'm always, always thinking, what's the defender supposed to do? Like yeah. how in the is world he supposed to just let the guy go to the basket, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my frustration with, with yeah. that. I could go. Well, they made a while. couple corrections with that. It sounds like for next yeah. year where if the offense lean, I mean, some of those bad, Mm -hmm. offensive plays that have been rewarded just leaning into guys and throwing it up and whatever are fixed but yeah so I, I was really intrigued by that um you know that it was just a whole lot of ball screen isolation stuff um and that the ball didn't move much but I was also astonished by how darn good um all those players are and I you know like you mentioned with the pick and pop and I, you know I, I think that's what Luca did and that's what Luca did since season ended at Iowa was holy cow I better be able to shoot the three I better lose some weight and shoot the three and he's made himself a viable NBA player by totally adapting to that situation where he's ball screening for Saban or gonna ball screen for you know Kate or whoever and and pop and I think that's difficult to guard but I guess I was surprised and that's maybe why I love the college game like gosh, I feel like every college game you watch is there's whatever they're doing or most of them, there's different things that are being done. You know, you watch Loyola, Chicago, and you make that tournament run and they, they got their big guy up top doing little handoffs and all those kinds of things. But shoot, then you watch the next game and it's some team going dribble drive. And then you watch the next game and it's blocker mover. And then you watch the next. And I think that like, I enjoy that as a basketball junkie. I enjoy the diversity of styles. I think that I see more in college than at least I saw this weekend in the NBA. Uh, I, I, I agree 100%. You, you talked about a few of those actions that, that you saw. Are there any specific actions that you feel are just really difficult to defend? You know, and I do a lot of the offensive stuff at Hope. I think, um, I think I'm really excited this year about some of our guys that um, – that can ball screen and then pop. And I think that that 
stressed us out some last year defensively and our guys worked really hard loved our guys last year and we we were a really solid defensive team but I think the thing we talked about the most was yeah big little ball screen where the big could pop and shoot it um it stressed us out it did um so shoot may have just said why is the NBA only doing that well maybe that's why they're only doing that so um so we have some guys that will be able to pick and pop this year and I hope that that stresses out some other teams that will wonder how they can, you know, how can they cover the guy using the ball screen effectively? We hope, but also, Hey, back there is a big, that can shoot it. So um, that stressed us out last year. And I hope that we use that to stress some teams out this year. Before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the coach's edge podcast. And if you find this episode beneficial, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. And most of all, share this episode out with someone else who you think also may find it beneficial. That's what the Coach's Edge is all about, trying to give you an edge, an advantage. Let's get better together. Back to the show. If you have five guys out there that can shoot, you might as well take advantage of it. And just like you said, from the defensive side, it, it it's hard to cover. I mean, there's, there's a yeah. reason that, that we're seeing it. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I mean, I do think that, that the hardest thing to guard, I think is good players sure. running something that they believe in and have been well, well taught in and that the whole program believes in, you know, again, I mean, I think is, is, you know, when dribble drive first happened with whatever Kentucky, whoever it was, Memphis, I don't know. Like that was really hard to guard for a while. Like, and that was a totally different kind of action, but it's like, geez, this is weird. You know, Wisconsin, the stuff they run, that's, that sucks to guard um, because they do it. They, they recruit to it. They believe in it. And that's their thing. Um, I mean, it's like in football, the wing, the wing tier or whatever, if you have the players that fit it and whatever, that's awful to try to tackle people in, but boy, if you spread them out, that's hard too. So I think, I really do think that system maybe is less important than players and belief in it and execution of that system. And finding the the right system for those players, and as yeah. a high school coach, that can change, right? I mean, you, yeah. you've oh, coached absolutely. for a couple of decades. You know, you get, mm-hmm. you know, five years from now, you you may not be running the same thing as you had before. You get a totally absolutely. different team. Um, like that's that's the fun part and the and the challenge of being a high school basketball coach, especially. I think yeah. you can't yeah. you can't recruit um, and recruit get what you I, get, man. You're not supposed to recruit, I should say. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Don't I think get me like, started, Coach. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything more than that. Um, you uh, like, I think <laughs> my my brother's team. Um, I got four younger brothers, and all played for really good high school basketball teams. And and Coach Gainforth, who also coached for 22, 24 years before he retired last year. Um, he was so good at changing things based on the personnel. And, uh, you know, my youngest brother, Micah, who's now a college player, you know, they, they ran a two, two, one press. And, um, when I had, you know, my, my, one of my other brothers, I mean, they're running like a two, three zone. Cause they had a six, seven, 310 pound mm-hmm. big guy. Um, mm-hmm. when I was, when I was there, um, my junior year of high school, I was the shortest guy in our starting lineup. And so we ran a, we ran a one, three, one, and we, we just stayed in front and we got every rebound. So we weren't going to turn the, you turn you over a whole lot. Mm -hmm. You were going to get one shot and you better make it, you know, and that was, that was our, that was our team, but Mm -hmm. just being a coach and trying to figure out, you know, kind of what, what to run is, is the fun part of coaching. Um, 
offensively, Absolutely. what do you find to be most effective? We'll get specific here. What are some things that you find most effective for teams that switch? That's becoming more common, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I will tell you that that was one of the things that I would say wasn't real prevalent in the high school game when I was coaching. And when teams did do it and had had because I don't think teams really had personnel where they could really do that. <clears throat> but teams that did have personnel and did, did do that, I think, you know, are the most difficult to score on. I really think they were because, again, the matchup, trying to really truly take advantage of a matchup, you know, if you got to space out or whatever you have to do you've usually got one guy that's just not good enough, just not good enough that can, that they can hide off of or whatever. So, um, you know, I think that is really, really different in the college game. And, and I would say we faced a few teams that, that switched this year. And I think that the thing you have to do, I mean, you, you just have to take advantage of matchups in that situation. You just do. Um, I do think that, you know, you can do, certainly do some slipping and some ghost screening and some, I mean, other things that make it a little bit more difficult and some back screen. I think back screening is, is harder to switch on, but, um, but I do think that you've got to put them in situations where the big little switch hurts them and that you make them pay for that and get them thinking if they can still switch all five positions. So let's, let's, you know, try to visualize the court here. So where would be some spots on the court that you think a team would be successful if, okay, we know we can get this big little switch. Where are the mm -hmm. best spots or movements for us to put those other three guys so that they're kind of occupied and it makes it harder for them to help the person who just switched or, or switch that yeah. one. Yeah. You know, I'm really, the cool thing I think is I learned so much about, a lot of these things you're asking me about. And I would say by absolutely, I'm not an expert in this area. Um, I think the high school game didn't really train me in this area because the matchups, again, like I said earlier, weren't, they just weren't taken advantage of very much, but I think I've learned a ton from coach Mitchell and the other coaches and also from watching other teams play about, um, about being as deep and wide in the corners you can, even on transition to, to use the entire court down there. And um, not something that really, that we, you know, really stressed in 24 years of high school coaching. And, um, but I think that that is, is really important, even in transition to get as deep as you can and as wide as you can and get into space. <clears throat> and then, you know, certainly depending on the switch. I mean, I think the times that we were hurt when we switched was right in the middle of the floor, big little, you know, and, uh, you know, if we ended up getting stuck on, on a ball screen, we were laid on or whatever. And, and our, you know, our biggest guy ended up on, you know, I think of, I don't know, maybe three or four guards in the league last year. They were just really gifted scorers. Like just, I mean, they were really gifted scorers in the MIAA and, um, you know, three or four guards could just go. And that was, that's a problem um, right in the middle of the floor up top. And I would say not even with someone coming to screen or whatever, but there's two guys in the corner. There's a guy, you know, a short corner and that there's space out there for this guy to work in. Um, that, that was difficult for us at times when we got stuck into switches. Um, and then, you know, the other way certainly would be and something I think that I hope that we'll be able to do some this year because we will be pretty lanky is to get it to get a big that can dive quickly into the post area and and feed him on a, on a switch where little's in trouble down there and make people come because we do we do have guys will shoot it um and that I, I think it might even not end up with a big basket down there but it might end up with people collapsing and kick out to guys that can shoot do you think i mean i love i, lo I love that man you you broke it down really well um do you think that's going to become 
more common and maybe it's not necessarily post play, but teams looking to feed the basketball inside compared to, I mean, it seems like it's so much dribble drive, so much five out. Yeah. And maybe it's like a quick mm-hmm. slip and then that person's just getting out of there again. But that's why that's one of the reasons why teams are switching, right? Is because nobody's getting punished yeah. for their switch. Yeah. Are, are we going to start to, is the tide going to turn a little bit? Yeah, you know, we just had some great post players this year that we made it a real point in whatever we were running to get the basketball down there. And I think it, we were one of the few teams that really had that kind of look where we were we wanted to post guys up and make people pay. Preston down there and other guys down there just really made people pay. So that was a focus point for us. Because we will be more versatile this year and have bigs that can pop out and play around the perimeter, you know, in some of our early staff meetings, we've already talked. Um, we cannot bail on the idea that those kids can go down there and post up. And, um, and I would even say some other teams in our league have done a really, really good job in the last couple of years. I've been watching my kids play, whatever, um, posting up guards, you know, that, that they are sending some of their bigger guards down there and skilled guards down there in the post. Um, I mean, Thad Shemansky is about 6'1", and he posts up for Calvin, you know, a lot, um, and some other guys in the league that do that. So I absolutely hope that it doesn't end. I mean, I hope that we don't end up into all pick and pop and everyone's spread out and we'll just drive in there and shoot leaners and stuff. I mean, I think you've got to throw the ball in there. I think, you know, I don't know. I I, I do believe that maybe it's easy as a, easier as a coach to be like, hey, guys, we're doing the ball screen thing. Everyone ball screen spread out and make some stuff happen. I mean, that's pretty easy. When you have really skilled and aware players and awareness is nearly impossible to teach, but skilled and aware players, you can probably do that. Um, I think when you have skilled and players, you know, players that need a little bit more of a place to be, I think that makes it a little bit more difficult. So I don't know if it's going to happen real soon, but um, but I think you'll see us continue to throw it down there. You talked about one of the reasons you like the college game is because of the variety. And um, I'd love to see some more variety in the game where, you know, we're getting some more post actions. I know they're still cutting and teams are driving as hard to the rim, trying to get, you know, layups and threes and free throws, but to see a little bit more of that balance of inside and outside play would be, would be good from just a, just perfectly just a basketball standpoint um, as as a viewer. Are there any other actions you mentioned a little bit the ball screen where you can really put the defense in a tight spot where you set, you set a ball screen, maybe it's a specific location. Maybe it's a, a ball screen into a pop and somebody else is diving or, you know, I'm just, just want to pick your brain for a second. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think, the the drags the transition ball screen i think is something i uh, again was not really a big user of that as a high school coach really wasn't um and i mentioned again the nba does it just about every trip there must be a reason Mm -hmm. those are the best coaches in the world um you know and i think that's something when it's on and i I don't i mean there's one moving ball moving screen call a game in the nba so you can pretty much (laughs) do whatever you want on that ball screen and um and that drag screen on the run in the middle of the floor, I think it presents some issues that if there's some contact there and that, that guard's able to turn the corner a little bit, um, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a tough thing to cover because it's so, it's so, it's such a fluid movement. It's not a, Hey, we're going to throw it to the wing and a guy is going to run at you in ball screen, which I think can be great too. But, but I do think that fluid ball screen movement, I think can be, can be tough. Um, the other thing that I, I mean, I, I did a lot in high school. Um, we we've done some this year and other teams have done to us too. And I think it can stress you out as a, is a little big back screen. Um, 
And, you know, I, as a, as a standstill three point shooter in high school and, and well, we didn't have the three yet. Sorry about that. I just totally dated myself there, but as a standstill three point shooter in, in high school, back screening and popping was a way, I mean, that was a way for me as an unathletic standstill shooter to find a shot. Um, so I do think little big back screens are something um, that I think that, you know, that can be difficult to cover. I love that. That's great. That's great detail. And, um, you know, you mentioned court awareness earlier. And so being able to combine that with, you know, a passer who, who can see the play as it's, as it's developing and, and then make that read and the guys being able to read, whether it's a switch or early or late or high or low is, um, no, that's a great, great detail. Um, coach, this has been, this has been awesome. I, I think we, we haven't done, done it justice. We, talk on and on about some offensive schemes and sets. And I'd love to, you got an open invitation to come back on uh, anytime. <laughs> no, I appreciate um, you. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Hoop Smart Coaches Clinic. You, it's something that you started a few years ago. And um, why don't you just give us a little background on, on what that is, where it is, um, and, and what you have in store. Yeah. So it's the third year we're doing it. We took the COVID year off, obviously. Um, I think just a product of me for 20 years going to various clinics and, you know, nationally and in the state as well. And, and BCAM does an incredible job with their clinic, Dan Young. I mean, they do a great job. There are, there are times that I've thought at certain clinics that I wish that there was an option. I wish there was someone else I could go to do. Here comes someone that's going to talk on the whatever that there's, I'm never going to do. And it's an hour long and there's nothing else going on. And I felt a little bit lost at times. So that was one thing, I think. And then also I thought that, that the West side just kind of needed an opportunity for coaches to get together. So yeah, three years ago, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run a coaching clinic and, and we're going to see if one person shows up or 10 people or what. So I got mostly uh, local high school coaches to talk, um, got a high school facility using in Northview high school. We're still using Northview high school in Grand Rapids. Um, this will be the third year that we use them. And um, yeah, we did a one day deal where people can come in, be there just for the day. I did really quick sessions, 30 minute sessions. We have two gyms going at once. Um, I love that format. Coaches always have a choice. Um, if they don't like what's happening in one gym or, or don't think they'll run that, um, they can go to the other gym or if they want to split up, send their assistants to one gym and they stay in the other gym. I, I think the format is fast paced. And um, holy crap, coach, people showed up. We had more than 300 uh, coaches come um, the first year. And, and again, more than 350 the second year. So um, it was awesome. I mean, I loved it. And my wife really runs the show with organizing and setting it up. And it's a highly professional event with, you know, with great goodie bags when you show up and great signage and great communication. And it's, um, it's a professional deal. And, um, yeah, and I'm, and I'm proud of it. And I think, um, you know, West Michigan coaches have found that they can come to that and in a one day thing on a Sunday, you know, they, they aren't leaving their family for three straight days and uh, staying in hotels and all those other kinds of things. They can drive to, to Grand Rapids from pretty much wherever they are, get there for the first session that, you know, the early bird session starts at eight 25 and they're, we're done by three o'clock and they're home and they've been able to really see a lot and, and get a lot. And, and the free lunch is pretty darn good too, from the score. I'm just throwing that out too. So, um, yes. Yeah, so this year it's October 24th. Um, it's Northview high school. Again, we've been tweeting about it at Ken George B ball. Um, 
And I mean, our, my highlight is actually coach Kramer is going to speak at it. Um, I mean, I think <laughs> the fact that you will come to Michigan to speak at my clinic is I'm just so honored and um, excited that we're going to put you out there twice because um, you're that good. So, but we've got, you know, we've got an interesting mix this year. We've got, you know, various high school coaches, but we've got some college coaches too, that are, that are going to speak. Stan Heath, the head coach at Eastern Michigan, an old family friend is coming in to talk. Um, we have two college teams that are on court as demonstrators all day. So all day you're watching on court demonstrations. And then, you know, we've made some little changes this year. The last hour of the clinic is going to be a full practice, a one hour practice, one in each gym with the two demonstrating teams run by their coaching staff. So I think that's really valuable for high school coaches to be able to come in, college coaches to come in and just watch an hour of real live practice. And I'm going to tell those coaches as many drills as you can show us, you show us your favorite stuff. And yeah, so, so we're excited. Um, registration is already coming in. Registration's open. Um, I, I'm just really excited to offer it again and hope that a lot of people will come. I'm getting excited just, just hearing you talk about it. And I can hear in your voice, you're pumped. You're, you're yeah. jacked up to, to run this. And um, where can coaches go uh, to register, whether they're a uh, Michigan coach or, or maybe even some of our Ohio uh, and Indiana yeah. listeners want to make the trip up to Grand Rapids, Michigan, what should they go to? Yeah, KenGeorgeBasketball.com is the site, and you'll see some other camps and other my books and other things I've done on there, or whatever. But find the coaching clinic on there. You know that was re it's really interesting. You mentioned that Ohio and, and Illinois and Indiana, or whatever, because, gosh, that first year I did it, I honestly thought we might get thirty coaches from the four local high schools who would sit there with me and listen to these people talk. And we had people from all over the state of Michigan, uh, people from the UP driving. You know how far the UP is. People from Tra a lot of people from Traverse City, but then we had people from from Illinois. Indiana, Ohio that came. Um, and, and certainly people from the east side of Michigan from Detroit area. So it's, I mean, it's pretty cool location. I think um, we had a lot of people stay in hotels locally the night before we're going to put on a little coaches happy hour the night before at the restaurants that's catering. And um, gosh, I just think it's a great time for a staff to get together. We have specials on the website. Again, it's KenGeorgeBasketball.com specials on there for groups. And um, yeah, I hope we hit 400 this year, coach. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to also put, you know, those links, um, website, Twitter links in the description of this podcast as well. Um, it's an honor for me to come up and, and speak. I mean, your, your name and your, your clinics are, um, they're off and running, they're well-regarded. And so it's cool for me to not only get to speak, but, you know, I'll have my notepad ready and, and be taking some <laughs> notes. Uh, all the other coaches that are doing their thing as well. I'm excited to always a student of the game. I'm excited to, yeah. to pick up some new things as well. Um, last question. Who's made the biggest impact on you as a coach? Wow. Coach, you didn't send that one to me ahead of time. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if I can name someone that's been the biggest. Um, I will start with my father, who was a longtime high school coach in, um, in Livonia, girls, basketball, baseball coached me a lot as well. I do think a lot of my coaching, um, mentality comes from him and how positive he was and how, um, he really tried to, to help his players be really, really confident and feel good about who they were and where they were and found that competent players play better. And I think I coach like that. Um, I think I'm heavily influenced by my college coach, Mike Turner at Albion. When I played at Albion, um, just love coach Turner, good family friend. My high school coach was Mike Teachman at Farmington Harrison and um, certainly still take some things from the things that he taught me. 
And then, um, you know, every game and every other coach I've watched. So I, I did a terrible job of answering this question. Nobody is the biggest, but all of those people have impacted me. And certainly my sons, um, just, you know, coaching both of my kids in high school was, um, was really, really special, you know, really, really special. Some hard times. I mean, coaching your own kid can be hard, but those are times that, oh my gosh, I mean, we still talk. I'll just never, just never forget the chances that I had to coach my kids. And I think they taught me a lot about coaching um, just by making me very aware of everything I did because my kid was out there and to make sure I treated everyone equal and all those kinds of things that come with coaching your own son. So terrible answer to a very specific question. All those people coach best part about coaching hearing different people's story is everyone is different and there's no wrong way to do anything. Yeah. There's just different yeah. ways to, different to do ways. it. And, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're a student of the game, which, which I certainly appreciate and all of our listeners do as well. So, uh, coach, I can't thank you enough for being on the coach's edge podcast. Uh, can't wait for your coach's clinic coming up in October, uh, for all of our listeners. Thank you for, for listening. Um, be sure to follow, um, Hoop Smart and Ken George basketball and, and everything that he has going on. Uh, be sure to follow Hope Men's basketball uh, this this season as well. See how they're doing. And uh, as always, if you found this episode beneficial, uh, please share it out with somebody. Share it out with with another coach. Say, hey, I think you might you know like some of the things that they talked about with offensive schemes. And obviously, a positive rating goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge podcast. So, Coach George, thank you for joining the show. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thanks.